0: This is a drastic departure from the origin and the beginning of Cain. As you would see, if you could turn with me in your Bible to the book of Genesis, the book of origin. Genesis chapter 4, verse starting in verse 1. Now, while I was doing this sermon, I was playing around with different versions of the Bible. And uh, I was really taken in by the way Young Literal Translation um, came across. It, it, said, it started that story with, and the man, talking about Adam, knew his wife. And I thought that was really, you know, he didn't call him Adam, but he says the man knew Eve. And so picking up in verse one, he reads, says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. I have acquired a man from the Lord. Perhaps Eve thought that this was the promised seed. And so he called him Cain. Cain was taught to be a promised seed from the Lord. So, picking up in verse 2 and she gave birth, and she gave, she again bare his brother Abel. Now, as we are saying, Cain was taught to be the promised seed. Abel meant the name Abel means vanity. When she taught that she had the promised seed in Cain whose name signified possession she was so taken up with him that another son was a vanity. Vanity meaning worthless. Worthless to her. So Cain was taught to be the promised seed. So, And we, we pick up again where we left in verse 2. And Abel, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. If you observe in this sentence that every son, everybody has a calling, and it is the will of God for everyone to have something to do in this world. Parents ought to bring up their children to work, give them a Bible, and then a calling. Um, As I read this story, I would like to switch from the New King James Version, which most of us have right now, to uh, Young Literal Translation. And I'm picking up in verse 3. In verse 3 it reads, it says, And it cometh to pass at the end of the day that Cain brought from the fruit of the ground a present to Jehovah. And Abel brought he also from the female firstling of his flock, even from their fat ones, and Jehovah looked unto Abel and unto his present. So in your version it has the firstling, but it didn't give us what that first I mean the firstling which the the sheep that Abel brought, what was the quality of it? Here in the young literal translation we're told that it was the best choice of his flock, and he was the first wing of his flock. And that puts a difference between the offering of Cain and the offering of Abel. Um, now, it's easy for us to quickly gloss over that, but let's, let's stay in that verse a little bit longer and get to understand and expand on it. So, Cain brought just a fruit of his garden, nothing special about it. it wasn 't the best of his fruit. Do we get that from that I mean from that verse now Abel on the other hand, on the other hand, brought the best of his flock, the first of his flock to God, so that differentiated them from each other, and if we continue to read, we see the reaction of God to that, but in other words. God is paying attention to what we do. As we bring our offering daily to God, um, or once a week, our offering, or tithe, we need to make preparation, put it aside, and do a diligent job in what we're doing, not just not paying attention. So that is important in our life as we look at this story. Abel brought the best choice of his flocks, firstly, but Cain, some fruit of the ground. Perhaps Cain kept the best fruit for himself or didn't even bother to gather the best fruit. We don't know. But what was revealed to us was that it wasn't the best that Cain could offer. It is not the object of the sacrifice that is most important according to psalmist. It is the heart. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise a broken spirit. And so what is important is not just the object, the object of the sacrifice, but what is most important is our heart and what is there. So prior to that offering being offered, God was looking at the heart of Cain and was also looking at the heart of Abel. And if we just stay right here and don't go forward or and add anything to what we've read, we can see that even before the offering was offered to God, God already made that decision and knew what he wanted. And what he wanted was a heart, a heart that was seeking after him. So we pull, up, we, 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 we move on to, um, to more, you know, um, Interesting part of this story, and we've heard you know and if we've read several of Ellen G. White's writing, we know that there's more to this that we that meets the eye um, obviously um, there are so um points that are brought up you know the point about the sacrifice itself, meaning God was requiring a blood sacrifice while Cain brought a fruit sacrifice. Now, I know we've read all kinds of stuff, but and I don't want to go into that. But I wanted to point out something different about this. Is and and I already made that point. Is that the heart is really important in this statement. Now, I'm switching verse um, um, standard again. So I'm, now I'm going to be reading verse four from Revised Standard Version. And I pick up in verse 4, it reads, by faith, Abel offered to God. Oh, sorry. All right, so I didn't tell you where I'm reading from, which is the same thing. Um, We're picking up, I'm using Hebrews 11 by uh, verse 4. And I'm bringing this verse into our sermon to illustrate something very unique about the sacrifice, the two sacrifices that we're talking about. And picking up in verse 4, Hebrews 11, verse 4, and I'm reading from Revised Standard Version. And we are still looking at the importance of Cain's sacrifice in contrast to what, I mean, the importance of Abel's sacrifice, sorry, in contrast to Cain's sacrifice. So I read Hebrews 4, I mean, Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel... Offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. We already know that. Mm-hmm. Through which he received approval as righteous. I'm going to stop there. So, through his sacrifice, through Abel's sacrifice, he received righteousness. Now, What is righteousness? You might ask. A righteous being, a righteous man, is one who is blameless before God, who has received pattern, who is keeping his commandment. And for a man to obtain that kind of favor in this world of sin, what does that person have to do? He has to claim the blood of Christ. And that is why Abel's sacrifice was accepted. It was because he was claiming the blood of Christ. And in order for him to be accepted of God, he had to do that first. And whatever else that he brings will be accepted. But that has to come first. Just like our prayers when we're praying is that we need the prayer of God. I mean, we when we pray to God, we need to present first the blood of Christ in our life, in order for our prayers to be answered. And so we move along in that um, in our sermon. And um, and I want to um, quickly use um, SDA. Um, commentary on verse 3 and 4 of, um, of, of, of Genesis um, 3, I mean Genesis 4, verse 3 and 4. I wanted to use um, the SDA comment on that. And um, it's so unique because it goes along with what we have just talked about. And it talks about in every offering to God, we are to acknowledge the one great gift that alone can make our service acceptable to Him. When Abel offered the firstling of the flock, he acknowledged God not only as the giver of His temporal blessings, but also as the giver of the Savior. Abel's gifts was the very choice he could bring, for it was for it was the Lord's specified claim. But Cain brought only of the fruit of the ground, and his offering was not accepted by God. It did not express faith in Christ. All our offering must be sprinkled with the blood of the atonement. As the purchase procession of the Son of God, we are to give the Lord our own individual life. And this was an extract from the Review and Herald, November 24, 18, 96. It goes on to talk about the idea that was presented in Genesis, verse, Genesis 2, verse 17, where, let's open to it, Genesis 2, verse 17. And I think that verse actually talks about About the fall and the temptation of um, Eve, and and the substitution sacrifice that was implemented after the fall of Jesus, um, after the fall of Eve and Adam and Eve, and it, it goes on to read says, "Fallen man, because of his guilt, could not could no longer come directly before God." So, why do we need the sacrifice of Christ? Am I ask. And this actually gives us the answer. We, as a fallen being, cannot approach the throne of God because of our sinful nature. And we cannot directly approach that. For his transgression of the divine law has placed an impassable bar- barrier between the holy God and the transgressor. But a plan was devised that the sentence of death should rest upon a substitute In the plan of redemption, there must be the shedding of blood, for death must come in consequence of man's sin. The beasts for sacrificial offering were to prefigure Christ. In the slain victim, man was to see the fulfillment for the time being of God's word. Ye shall surely die. And so, in order for us not to die when we sin, that blood was shed on our behalf and when Christ died for us he took on the eternal debt that we are supposed to have experienced and so we move on to genesis verse 4 i mean genesis chapter 4 verse 5 genesis chapter 4 verse 5 but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, why is Cain angry? Was it because he was rejected? Maybe. Yes? Before we jump into what is going on with Cain, we need to take a little bit, you know, um, d- diversion from what is going on right now and pill, I mean, step, take a step backward. And in order to do that, I, I want to read to you um, Patriots and Prophets um, and the comments of E.G. White on the character of Cain. Prior to him offering that sacrifice. And he goes like this and he it reads It's Cain's rejection of divine priesthood that led to his downfall. Cain cherished feelings of rebellion and murmured against God because of the curse pronounced upon the earth, upon the human race for Adam's sin. He permitted his mind to run in the same channels that led to Satan's fall indulging the desire for self-exaltation and questioning the divine justice and authority. Um, This is taken from Patriarch and Prophet, page 71, paragraph 1. I want to point out something. He indulged the desire for self-exaltation. You might ask, what is this like? We started with the idea that Cain... was looked upon as the what? The seed. Right? His mother thought that this could be the promised seed. Could you imagine with me how that could feel like? To be and then to realize that you are not. Right? Can you imagine what is going on through his mind? And when I look at Cain, it reminds me of another character in the Bible. The character of Saul. I mean Esau. Esau wanted the bat right. All the physical wealth that comes with the bat right, he wanted it. But he wanted nothing to do with the spiritual aspect of it. Cain is also being influenced by the same spirit that influenced Esau that he wants all the exhortation that comes with it, but when it comes to the spiritual aspect of it, you know he wants nothing to do with it, and so we skip looking at the character of Cain, right so verse five talks about his countenance falling, and so God. Ask him a question in verse six, but before we read that, we need to point out something that God does. Is that God marks every action? The Lord said, "Saw the wrath of Cain; he saw the feelings of his countenance." Thus is revealed how closely the Lord marks every action, all the intent and purposes. Yes, even the expression of the countenance. This, though man, man may say nothing, expresses his refusal to do the way and the will of God. And so God looked at him and said, why? Taking up this story back in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, and I'm still reading in from the Revised Standards Version. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It desires is for you, but you must master it. You know, this two verses is loaded with meaning. I mean, sometimes we say it's pregnant with meaning, right? Yeah? So let's take a little bit of time to actually look at what is going on here. And uh, I don't like giving credit to people when they say stuff that are really deep about the Bible because I feel like it's the Holy Spirit that is actually impressing on their heart. And we need to give credit to the Holy Spirit. But in case you want to go read those things, After you know, I'll be I'll be willing to give you some of mine was reference, but I have an exposition here that actually talks about that gives a really detail about verse six and verse seven, and I would love to read it to you because it brings to mind a very powerful powerful way of of what God is telling or saying to Cain in this verse. So let me pick up in this exposition. And um, I want you to just relax and pay attention because it requires you to to do that. And I hope my accent is also not, (laughs) uh, won't, you know, get in the way, okay? (laughs) All right. So, before we do, you know, before we do anything, I wanted to point out some couple of things um, in verse 7. You know, verse 7 can be split up into 1, two, three, four, 4 aspects. Actually, let's say 3. The first one is, if you do well, will you not be accepted? The word accepted right there is a very strong word. To be accepted of God is to be blameless, righteous, upright before Him. Okay? So that is an important thing. And in order for us to understand verse 7, we have to understand that the word Eve and the description of what Eve is doing. And so let me just, with no ado, you know, with no flybys. let me just read what this exposition says. It says, and I start, it says, this early narrative clothes great moral and spiritual truth in pictorial form, through which it is difficult for us to pierce. In the world's childhood, God spoke to men as to children, because there were no words then Frame which would express that which he wants to express. They had to be shown by picture, but these early men, simple and childlike as they were, had conscience and one abstraction they did understand, and that was sin. They knew the difference between good and evil. So we have here God speaking to Cain. Who was wroth because of the rejection of his sacrifice, and in dim, enigmatical words setting forth, set forth the reason of that rejection. So God here is setting forth the reason for his rejection, and it goes like this: Is if thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? Then clearly his sacrifice was rejected because it was the sacrifice of an evildoer. His description as such is given in the word of my text, which are hard for us to translate into our modern, less vivid, and pictorial language. If thou doest not well, sin lies at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Strange as this world sounds, if, if we mistake not, They convey some very solemn lesson, and if well considered, becomes pregnant with meaning. The key to the whole interpretation of them is to remember that they describe what happened after, and because of wrongdoing, they are all suspended on if thou doest not well. Then in in that case, for the first thing, sin lieth at the door. Now, the word translated here, "lied" is employed only to express the crouching of an animal. Did you get that? The word lying here express the crouching of an animal and frequently of a wild animal. So, have you ever seen, watch uh, Discovery Channel? Where there's a tiger, you know, just crouching. And when you have, we see that, you know that he's about to what? Yeah, he's about to spring. And so we're talking about a beast right now at our door, at the door of our heart. And when we say door, we're talking about the door of the mind, right? Okay, so let me pick up where I left the picture then is of a wrongdoer seen lying at the door, there like a crouching tiger ready to spring, and if it spring, fatal. If thou doest not well, a wild beast crouches at thy door. Then this follows with a singular switch translation of the metaphor, other words still harder to interpret, and which has been a matter of fact interpreted as a very diverse version. And unto thee shall be it's desire: unto thee shall be its desire. And unto and it shall rule over it. I changed that in a little bit, just to make it a little bit um, understandable. Where did we hear these word, words before? They were spoken to Eve in the declaration of her punishment. They contain the blessings that was embedded were embedded in the curse. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. The longing of the pure woman's heart to her husband of her love and the authority of the husband over the loving wife, the source of the deepest joy and purity of earth, is transferred by a singular bold metaphor to other relationship, and in horrible parody of the wedding union and love. We have the picture of sin that was thought of as crouching at the sinner's door like a wild beast. Now, as it were, wedding wedded to him. Can you see the magnitude of this verse? He is mated to it now. And he has a kind of tigerish. Murderous desire after him, while he is on his path, is to subdue and control it, not as Cain. Why? Why not as Cain? Because Cain is teetering on that edge. At his door, he has a wild beast, which is sin, ready to pounce on him. And we know the story, we know the end of the story, right? We know that he killed Abel. But before he did, God was giving him a strong warning. The warning was that you, Cain, have this wild beast at your door, ready to pounce. And he's made to you like a woman. He wants you. Sin wants us. His desires for us. And we know in our own experience every day that sin has that power. I mean, a wise man says that our sin is powerful than us. And if we can always put that in the back of our mind, we know that there is no way that we can fight it by our own power. Now, man... And I'm not giving, I'm not knocking on people that are strong will, that have done great things, that are able to put their life together. And they say, well, I did this, I did that, I did this, I put this, you know, I quit smoking, you know, or I quit drinking, I did all this. And they, they attribute that to their own self-power, right? I'm not saying that that is not impossible. We've seen that. But sin in itself has power, and here are some three points that, are, um, that I want us to look at. There are This exposition is five page long, so I'm trying to summarize it in a little way so that I don't put you to sleep, and, uh, and then we get the real aspect of it. So three, three points that are brought up. First, I want you to think about a wild beast which is chained to our door by our wrongdoing. You have that picture? Okay. And it's easy for us to talk about responsibility and consequence and guilt and all that stuff. And those are good. Right? But the metaphor of our text is if thou doest not well, a tiger we allow me to say that a tiger a wild beast is crouching at thy door and we are also much more aware of the deception of the imagination that we when an evil deed is done it passes away less no permanent result is that true like when we do bad things we think well it's gone i don't have to think about it yeah No. Those things has a longing lasting effect on us. If we can sit down here and just imagine all the sins that you ever had in your life materialize in front of you. You know that they're not done. And our mind when we talk about memory we know that memory sometimes we do something and we forget. Does Does that mean that it's not there in our memory? Um, We've heard of people that had death experiences, right? And they tell you their life flashes before their eyes. Those are the memories of all the things that we've done. Now imagine us standing before the throne of God and having to answer for all those things. But don't be despair because we do have a solution to that, right? So, Second point, second point that was driven home in this verse is that now let us look for a moment at the next touch that is here, which is put into a strong and to modern notation, somewhat violent metaphor, the horrible longing as it were of sin towards the sinner. And I've said that unto thee shall be its desire. So now that we've gone past that aspect of sin, and it's we're looking at the desire of sin. Just as we commit sin, sin has a desire for us. And the moment that you commit that sin, it's there. And that desire for it is there. The last point that I want to bring home for us is Thou shalt rule over it. More so, to thee shall be its desire, and thou shalt rule over it. This is the promise that is embedded in this um, verse. And that will be Genesis chapter 4, verse 17. And thou will rule over it. It is possible to rule over sin. And what does that mean? You might ask. It is the power of Christ. It's the power of God to be an overcomer. The Bible says that he comes for those who are victorious. Not like Cain, who succumbed to that temptation. But like Christ, the real seed, the real the promised seed that shed his blood on our behalf to save us from sin. And for His sake, we can overcome and be an overcomer. And so, today I challenge us to be like Abel, who offered an excellent sacrifice. If it's your, if it's in your, if it's your desire to offer an excellent sacrifice to God um let us bow our head as we approach God for that blessing heavenly father help us lord to to go back and read stories that we've learned from our childhood and help us to see wonderful things in your word, as the shaman said. But more so, Lord, help us to not be like Cain, who was warned beforehand and still succumbed to temptation. But let us be like Ibel And let us, help us to be able to claim the promises that has been given to us in your scripture the promise of a victory a promise of a savior help us Lord to work humbly before you Lord and as our desire has been warped through sin and sinful acts Lord we pray that you who can call light from darkness may you call light out of our darkness And help us to be an overcomer. We ask for this, Lord. Presenting the blood of Jesus Christ. For we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can stand with me, we'll be... Singing from hymn 508, 508.